Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for Filth. Policeman. Bingo. Scotland, we're such a uniquely successful race. This nation brought the world television, whiskey, and of course, me. Detective Sergeant Bruce Robertson. The games are always being played. You just have to be the best, and I usually am. And what made you join the force, Bruce? Police oppression, brother. And you wanted to stamp it out from the inside? No, I wanted to be a part of it. <laughs> Look at the state you're in, Bruce. I'm worried about you, Bruce. I used to be a good person. Sir! You're gonna hit me, Bruce! I think there's something seriously wrong with me. Have you been to see a doctor? Have you been since our last consultation? No problems, I presume. No more cocaine and chip suppers for Bruce, eh? Bruce! <laughs> <laughs> okay then, fire away. <laughs> I find all this just a little bit sorted. Let's do it. Come on! I just have a glass of water? Not at all. I've got something else in mind for you. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator from the Daily Beast, Marlo Stern, and tonight's guest, actor James McAvoy and director Jonas Baird. Okay, let's get started. I mean, um... You know, with, with Filth, I mean, why... John, John and James. John, why did you think James was right to play this absolute son of a bitch? And, uh, and James, why did you want to play this, uh, this total I, asshole? I, I didn't think of James first up because I thought he might be a little bit young, but as soon as I met him um, and realized how smart he was and, and, uh, and how much he understood what we were trying to do, uh, it was within about five minutes that the just decided he's, he's the guy, and we offered him a part the same day. So from going from thinking, hmm, maybe a bit young, to, to this is definitely our guy within a matter of minutes, it was incredible. You saw the darkness within James. I think so. I, I mean, I think, I think I saw what it is that makes the film tick. It's about, it's about a guy with significant mental problems. Um, and instead of the movies that I see that are maybe about somebody with mental problems or somebody with any kind of illness that are worthy and, I don't know, sort of gritty realism or something like that, this is much more gritty surrealism. Uh, and I felt like John had written something, which for me is still the best script I've ever read. John had written something that was fueled by the manic, uh, dynamic and interesting and sometimes entertaining energy of certain mental illnesses. Uh, instead of just being a worthy, wise, gritty, soulful, sad, depressing piece about how tough it is to be 
having mental health problems. It was it was more than that. It was it was it was sort of inside the mind of somebody who is delusional and paranoid and and has split personality disorder and has all these things. You know, and I thought that was that was fresh and very. It's a brave film. I mean, it's potentially controversial film, and it's very hard to find those these days because. People are trying to walk a, a, a straight line so often, and this is anything but straight. You know, it is dark. I mean, some of the darkest scenes are the games, the quote-unquote games he plays with his, uh, with his friends and stuff. I was wondering if we could just talk about what the games are and also, uh, you know, what some of the toughest ones were to portray. I think the games, you know, it, it, comes from, it comes from the novel, you know, and the games are Bruce's manipulation of other people's uncertainty. Yeah, and I think he's a master at that. He's he's a master at at uh, picking out the weak points in uh, in people's personality because he's probably such a weak person himself, you know. And uh, and he's you know it takes one to know one sort of thing. And um, I think that's what the games are, you know. In, 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 but the games in this in this in this film uh, are you know it all comes back to haunt him, obviously. So, but there's a lot of humour in the movie, you know. There's a lot of you know is it's a there's a lot of comedies running through the, you know, th- through the tragic sort of story of Bruce, and um, and the games are just a, uh, uh, just a way of him sort of uh, trying to gain some sort of control because he's a man who's totally out of control, you know. And uh, James, what were the uh, most sadistic games you got to play in this film? Uh, in character. Um... <laughs> I just tormented him for two months. Um, in character, I mean, the, the toughest one for me is that, for me, the games were about abuse. They were about a man who'd been abused and who would then reflect that abuse out onto the world. Uh, a man who regarded himself as filth and is terrified of, of facing up to that and so projects that opinion of himself out onto everybody else and has to put everybody else down, build himself up, abuse others so that he's never a victim. He can't be a victim because he's the abuser. Um, and on the first day of the shoot, I had to do a scene in which I blackmail a 15-year-old girl and he gave me a blowjob. And that was fucking horrible. Um, I've got absolutely no problem with it on the page. I was, I was prepared for it and all of that. And, and then... And I've got no problem with some of the really dark, all the other really dark stuff we do in the film, but that one was really hard to do just because it's it's such a it's such a I mean all abuse is, is taboo and wrong, but it's such a I don't know an invasive type of abuse. I don't know. It was horrible. It's interesting though because the audience stays with your character the entire time, despite all the terrible things he does. You know, the audience you know keeps yeah. coming back. It's kind of like a boxing match in a way. Yeah, we, we were definitely. I don't know, you, I felt that the script that John wrote, you know, what is a film, what is a film aiming to do? What is, what is a rom-com aiming to do? It's aiming to make you laugh and to make you maybe feel good about the opposite sex. Uh, what is a blockbuster meant to do? It's make you, make you go, wow. What is this meant to do? I felt like John was trying to slap an audience as hard as he could and then go, hey, do you want to hang out? Yeah. Yeah, no, we got on really, really well, kicking the balls. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I felt like John was trying to do something dynamic that threw an audience around, made them hate the central figure, made them love the central figure, question him, be shocked by him. At times, when he walk out the theatre, and yet you're going to stay for the 90 minutes. 
And that is that was just something that I thought was exceptionally daring and brave, and, and I wanted to be a part of that. Did that answer the question? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think you got it. Um, maybe we could check out a clip of James in his element right now. <laughs> brought the world television, the steam engine, golf, whiskey, penicillin, and of course, the deep-fried Mars bar. It is great being Scottish. We're such a uniquely successful race. And as my wife Carol always says, there's no place like home. So what was it like flicking off that kid? I mean, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was all right. It was all right. It was kind of a tough day, but it was good. <laughs> I mean, you know, Bruce does a lot of booze and drugs in the film, and I'm curious. Yeah, <laughs> is it tougher for you to act drunk or stoned? Stoned, I'd say, is tougher for me to act because I've got less experience of stoned behavior than I do of drunken behavior. Um, yeah, I've examined drunken behavior as a professional uh, more in depth, uh, whilst uh, my experience of portraying and, and, and examining. I'm talking rubbish. I'm going to stop now, okay? He's drunk. I'm drunk. I'm researching drunkness right now. I mean, what did you guys use for the drugs? I'm always curious what you guys use for cocaine and stuff in movies. What did you guys use? It's uh, glucose powder. That's what they use. That's what, that's what fake cocaine is. Uh, glucose powder, I believe. I was like, wow, I'm flying. It was just nothing happening. Placebo. Sugar high. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, for you guys, John, I wanted to ask you this. I mean, James, not to embarrass James, but James does have these very sort of sympathetic eyes. And uh, was it... You know, was it important for you to really kind of <laughs> was it important for you, to, for you to really glaze those over in the film and kind of neutralize that trait of his? Because that's a trait that, for a lot of his, you know, good guy roles, is, is something that directors really lift and emphasize on film. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 one. The, the thing about Bruce is um, nobody sees. You know, he's an outrageous character, and the only person that sees him is is a human, is 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 a is a character. Um, is, a, is an actress, Joanne Froggett, she plays a character called Mary, and, and Bruce tries to save uh, her husband's life, uh, and she sees him as a, as a hero. And there's a, there's a scene between them two where, where James's eyes really pop out, the, these blue eyes really pop out, and, and, and you, see, you, know, you see the humanity of Bruce there, and, and uh, it's, a it's a beautiful image, yeah? But... Um, but he, uh, but he managed to hide them <laughs> for for the rest of the whole film, you know. But with that moment, I don't know what it was, but he let the, he let the audience into the, the humanity of the character, you know, uh, with those incredible incredible blues, you know. The incredible blues. <laughs> I love you, James. I think I'm going to get lucky tonight, guys. I mean, James, how did you just channel the darkness too? This is this is probably the darkest character you've played so far. How did you go to that? Uh, Dark place. 
I'm very different from Bruce, but I think for me the defining aspect of him is his raging inferiority complex, which is outside of his mental health problems, uh, and his and his self-loathing. Um, and I think we've all got a little bit of that. We've all got a little bit of doubt about: Am I up to it? Am I good enough? Am I? Or if we don't have it all the time, we've got we've got it inside us to doubt. We've got it inside ourselves to to compare ourselves unfavorably against those around us. And so you just take that and you grow it and you grow it and you grow it until it, until it controls you. And as irrational as the conclusions that that kind of self-doubt, self-loathing and, and inferiority complex, uh, as, as irrational as the, the conclusions are that that leads you to, you've got to start believing them. You've got to start believing that you're worthless. And when you've got no respect for yourself, you're going to start treating yourself badly. And when you've got no respect for yourself, you're going to start treating others badly. And it's about growing that tiny seed that you share in common with somebody who's got a massive tree of rage and self-loathing. Do you know what I mean? I'm talking such rubbish today, guys. I am sorry. But I hope you get it. You know, John, we've, seen, we've heard what James's toughest scene was to film. What was the toughest scene for you to capture just as a director? Um, there's a scene, uh, I suppose it was the toughest, uh, and it was also my favourite scene, and there's a scene between James and Imogen Poots, who plays a character called Drummond, um, on, and it starts at the top of a staircase, and it ends at the bottom of a winding staircase, and it, and it, starts, and it, and it starts with them going at each other verbally, uh, then it becomes quite funny in places, and then it, it gets physically abusive, and then his character breaks down, and then he hallucinates, and then, I mean, so, you're talking about a, a, an actor playing five or six different people within one scene, yeah, and he does it, he does it seamlessly, and I remember thinking on a page, this is like a three-page dialogue scene, how on earth is this going to be, you know, how on earth are we going to, you know, do this, and, and keep, you know, keep that level up, and this guy just, just blew it out the water, you know, and, and I, I remember looking around the crew, um, as were one, one of the takes, and the sound guy was, was actually crying, right? That's really experienced sound guy, he was actually crying, and, and I thought... Chopping onions. <laughs> and uh, I thought, my God, this is... I've never seen that before, and... Um, and uh, so that was, that was, that was my favourite scene, but also the, 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 the toughest, I think, for, for myself and James to, 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 to you know as an actor to, to, to get, because he's, he's, as I say, he's doing five different things uh, within the space of a minute, you know. There's a, there's a scene in the film, which is my favourite scene in the film, because I think it sums up in a moment what, what I thought you were trying to do with the script, and also it sums up for me a lot of what Irvin Welsh is, where I'm watching home movies of my estranged wife and child who I miss very much, and I'm crying my eyes out. And... I pick up the telephone and I phone the wife of my best friend and I have, I pretend to be a chat show host from 1980s Britain, Frank Sidebottom, <laughs> vocally, and I have phone sex with her whilst watching my wife and child cry my eyes out and masturbating. And for me, that, that scene is, is upsetting and gross and funny and surreal and horrific and tragic. And all at the same time, all in one go, like like that. And uh, and for me, that's what I think John was just brilliant at writing and brilliant at directing, kind of having 
so many layers and so many experiences for both the actors and the audience all at once that we're compelling you to stay and repelling you at the same time. And this weird conflict happening in the audience, not just conflict on the, on the, on the screen, but a conflict in the audience of like, do I like this guy? Do I hate this guy? Do I want to get out of the theatre? Why can't I get out of my seat? You know, and that's, that was fun to be a part of. Also an expert display of multitasking. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, yeah. um, so let's go to another clip. This is of James um, getting into some of his games with his number one victim. So yeah, I think we can open this up now to the audience. Uh, yeah. Anybody have any questions? Hey, dude. Hi. Uh, this is the question for uh, John. Um, this book was based on uh, uh, Arvin Walsh, who also wrote uh, Transporting. And seeing that Transporting, it's such an actually uh, intriguing, actually visual approach that they did. And as much as fascinating over the storytelling, but what kind of uh, the visual approach that you take on this actually film that you can talk about? Okay, um, I, I never actually used transporting as a reference, believe it or not. Uh, I used more, um, I thought I'm a huge fan of Danny Boyle. I'm actually working with Danny at the moment on something in the UK. A huge fan of his, and James has, has worked with him as well. And, and, uh, but I never used transporting as a reference. Uh, because Irvin, the writer himself, said, you've got to, you know, everybody who tries to do one of my movies, and he's had a few of his books turned into movies, he says, they all try and copy Transport, and so you want to put that out of your head. So I never used it as a reference. Um, obviously, there's going to be similarities in some of the humor because it's from the same writer, yeah? So you're not going to be, you're not, you, you can't get away from that. Um, and it's set in the same city, and, you know, it's the underbelly of, 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 of this, of Edinburgh. But um, I used uh, more Stanley Kubrick uh, and Tit. Yeah, it's a Clockwork Orange was was visually a Clockwork Orange was was my main visual reference. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Jim Broadbent's character, um, his speech pattern uh, is pretty much copied from a character in uh, in um, Clockwork Orange called Deltoid. He's got this this really strange speech pattern. And uh, but I was just obsessed with with with, with Clock Orange is a, is, a, is, a, is not only a visual reference but also because it's a very strong central performance. It's an anti-hero who again you shouldn't really like, but you can't help yourself from following this guy, you know. So so that was the main thing. And I think Danny, to be honest, used used Kubrick as a reference when he did uh, Transporting Two, you know, in terms of the kind of lenses he used, a lot of the wide-angle close-ups, and we used we used the same thing here to convey a different message, but. So I would say that was more of a reference than anything. And also Terry Gillian as well, you know, he, he's some of his stuff as well, yeah. But it's a really good question. 
Hi, uh, I'm wondering um, what kind of research was done into um, depicting having bipolar disorder versus um, just being an asshole, for example. <laughs> ah. um, uh, huh. I suppose, without getting into it too much, uh, both John and I have got quite vast experiences of mental illness in our lives. Uh, and the research was done in, in, in life. Um, and and just in getting to that point, really, uh, I think rather than getting an actor who wasn't genned up on it all, and then goes away and becomes like absorbed in it, it was rather it was the script came to an actor who sort of just knew it on the first read, really, um, without getting into it too much. But um, but yeah, I mean, because he's not just bipolar. For me, he's, he's you know he's paranoid, schizophrenic, he's split personality disorder. He's, he's got a million things going on, exacerbated by being a junkie and being an alcohol, uh, being an alcoholic, uh, as well as just not being very nice. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a multi multi layered thing, and that is the problem with so much mental illness is it isn't just you are such and such, you are this, that you have this wrong with you. How do you define what is wrong? You you really can't. Uh, a lot of the time, uh, and why it's so hard to treat, because it's so mercurial, and you can't grasp it, you can't look at it, you can't see it with a microscope. It's why it's such a, it's such a tragic thing to be going through for people, you know what I mean? Anyway, yeah. No, and just, just to add to that, I think um, that was the reason that me and James connected very, very quickly, because when I met him uh, for the first time, he said, look... I, 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 I really like your script. He says, but when I found out it was, it was about mental illness, that's what made me want to, you know, not, it was just about mental illness, but when I found out the, the character had a mental illness, that's what really made me want to do it. And then we, we both discovered that we, we, we you know, we, we had this thing in, in common that we've had experience with, with somebody, you know, both had experience with somebody who, who had that. And um, so I knew he was the right guy. As soon as he said that, I, I just really had a, like a spine-tingling moment in that I thought, He's, this is the guy. This is definitely the guy to do this, you know. Uh, hello, James, John. Uh, this question is for the two of you. Um, specifically, uh, starting with James, when developing the character, um, what did you find in the script or just your own research or take on the character that really uh, was his main need or like what drove him to, to do all of the things that he you know, does in the film to others? Um, what did he want to get from others, people, and what did he want to get you know, out of life? I'm, I'm interested in your perspective as well as John's. Um, I, think, I think he's been living a lie from a very, very young age. And that lie is that he is not worthless and that he is not filth and he is not, he is not scum. Uh, because deep down he believes he is. Uh, but he's been doing such a good job of, of pretending that he is not. Pretending that he is, that he is worthy, that he is powerful, that he is, he's been doing such a good job of that for such a long time that I think he's, he's been pretending for such a long time that he can no longer tell what's right and wrong. Um, he's, he's, he's exacerbated his problems with alcohol and with drugs, and his wife has left him because of bad behavior as well, but he's now at a point where the real world and the true him is starting to become apparent to him. 
you know, paranoid or delusional people aren't really a problem to themselves if they can believe in their delusion. It's when the real world starts to exert itself upon their uh, perception. And so the real world is starting to influence him. The real world is starting to become perceivable to him. The real him is starting to become perceivable as we meet him in this film. And that means you're meeting him at the most dangerous time because when he truly looks at himself in the mirror and sees who he actually is, then there's only really one choice for him. Um, but the way that he abuses others is, is twofold, really. It's part of it is you know, to keep others down, keep him up. If I'm the powerful one, if I'm the bully, if I'm the abuser, then there's no way I can be the abused victim here. Um, and then the other part of it is, is just this reflection, this, this sort of projection of, you know, there's no way I am weak. So you are. You guys are all the weak guys. And I will do anything I can to put you down, to make me feel powerful. Um, but if, and, and also the love of his wife and child, that as much as this man is a demon, he is, he is, he, he's in love with them. Um, and he's just, he's a mess, man. <laughs> he's a mess. I think, I think the, the key word you just said was love. And I think, to me, this, this, is a, this story, it's heart, is a, it's like a, it's a, it's, it's a love story in a way. It's a, tra it's a tragic love story. It's about a man who is, is, is wandering around in the dark looking for a light switch. And, he, and that light switch is, is love because he doesn't love himself. He's lost love. He's, he's, his family have fallen out of love with him. And he's got the opportunity, you think, to, 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 to get that back. Um, and if you go and see the film, you'll, you'll see what happens. But the, the, uh, to me, it's about, it's about a man who's, who's missing love, yeah? And that's why he's behaving in this, in the, in this manner, you know? Thank you very much. Some really great questions, yeah. Thank you, everybody. Cheers for coming. Thank you.